0: Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast for early-stage web developers and the mentors, teachers, and communities that help them along the way. Hey, welcome Peter. Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. It's a
0: pleasure. So um, I've tried many approaches to doing this in the beginning. It's now my sixth recording. So um, I think what I'm going to try with this one is instead of me asking a bunch of questions in the beginning, I'm going to kind of give you the floor um, and say that what I do know is that you've been in the industry for a long time. You've done a whole bunch of things. We worked together for a long time as well. Um, but what I think would be interesting is if you could just tell us your journey from when you started getting into this or actually go as far back as you like, but kind of leading us up to today.
1: Okay. I've been doing web development for 25 years. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, some people who have been doing it for 25 years. They move on to become directors of uh, DevRel, something, I don't know. Uh, I just love it. Um, I started uh, when basically you I found out you can make an HTML page and you put them online. Me and my friends when we were teenager, we made a web page about poop. and we uploaded it to a, uh, a website uh, like the Telecom ISPs website. And this was back in the day when uh, people would read magazines about the internet. And the magazines would often have links to web pages that now suddenly exists, and you can actually go to and surf them. And I had the smart idea of writing a angry letter to this magazine, uh, complaining, pretending to be someone else, um, uh, pretending to be angry that this ISP have a web page at this certain URL that talks about poop. Um, hoping that that would be some sort of controversial uh, thing that people say, what is this horrible thing? I need to check it out. (laughs) So maybe it did drive more traffic. Maybe we had like three more people visit the site or something, I I don't remember. Yeah, so I I started uh, making HTML and CSS, that kind of stuff back in uh, before the millennia. And back when I lived in Sweden, uh, where I grew up, and, and I actually managed to do a little bit of work there, like consulting work. Um, there were two companies that needed web pages, and I would do the web page part of it, um, and then hand it over to like the Unix programmers who would then add CGI to these. Um, pretty pages to make them into apps uh, or websites. Um, And I kept doing that for a few years when I lived in England too. uh, And those were the days when uh, uh, you'd have designers uh, who make something pretty in Photoshop and then hand them over to uh, web developers who would then slowly sort of cut them up into web pages by uh, extracting little GIFs, spacer GIFs and things like that. And then I took a little break from web development and went to school. I did mathematics. And throughout my like summer breaks and winter breaks, I ended up working for a little, um, couple of guys at the university who made web pages. And as soon as I graduated, I joined them to become the first employee, and together we started a consulting business doing web pages and web apps and databases. Um, and yeah, and then I did that for 10 years, and then um, moved to America to work with Mozilla doing internal web properties uh, together with Upscult, as you know. And, and that was all sorts of internal and some external apps, um, but heavy on web page. And then, uh, together with you again, Skull, for the last couple of years in Mozilla, I worked on the MDN web docs page, um, which is hugely popular. And uh, I'm proud to say that I took a huge part in uh, rewriting that uh, site from scratch to become a modern. Another Jamstack website um, with good search. And um, now I'm at GitHub where I work on their documentation website, maintaining that adding functionality providers. Um, so that's a quick whirlwind on my background. Um, I'm now based in, uh, on the East Coast in South Carolina. Uh, so that's a little bit about my background and um, I'm also <clears throat> and always have been a very early Python coder so I started um, back in 1999 and actually making some commercial Python work um, which was great fun and it's kind of cool because I've Deal in a sense, statistically, I've been there from the beginning. Um, and it's always fun to, uh, to look back at that over the years. And I swear, I have not seen anything as pretty as Python since. Um, I have been missing out the last couple of years. Maybe there's been some recent development in Julia and Rust and so on. Um, but I've always been a big Python fanboy. And I think what drew me into Python was another early interest, which I had when I started web development, like people find a niche, something that they can attach themselves to. Some people like aesthetics. So they really like the idea of like pretty colors and having something pleasant with you. Some people come from types. They like pretty fonts, the right alignment, like a newspaper kind of a background. And they have many different interests. And mine was that of usability. Like a little nerd, I would read everything I could get my hands on, every blog post. Um, I mean, in the early 2000s, you you can't read everything. It's said that Einstein read every book that he could get his hands on. He probably meant it. He probably read literally every book they had in the whole town of wherever he grew up uh, in Germany. Um, but I, I would always, I would always love that concept of usability. It, it, it felt like, hey, that's something I can maybe become good at. Um, I seem to have an interest in it. I like it, and it's something I have like this burning sort of gut passion for fire. For I really, that's something I can contribute with. Um, there are other people who, who who just have different passions, and it's good to like find something. And I think that's sort of was my love a little bit with Python. It felt like they made the programming language so you you don't have to think much. Like it, it didn't put up barriers. It's almost like paved the path for you, like a, a red carpet. And it's famously so that some people say that Python is written down English that you can run because it reads so well. And, and so that's always stuck with me. Um I think over the years maybe my interests have come and gone in different topics, but the whole usability piece, the Jacob Nielsen research early on was super interesting. And I think you can kind of walk away with that, keeping two simple axioms in mind. And it says Steve Krook, Kru- I can't remember that. He said, Don't make me think. And so there is so much more to that statement than just um, web interfaces or UIs. There's also, don't make me think to your fellow code reader, or fellow colleague, or even yourself. So when you write a piece of code, people often talk about that either some other engineers gonna have to work on this code, or it's also you yourself. So write it in a way that it can read as plain English, uh, make it almost too simple to be, to be. For what you know, put effort into making it super simple, and I think that's a very very important ingredient to a lot of things. Uh, and it's not just about how you make your UI, and it's not just about how you type your programming code, but there is a huge element of this. In your system design, too. Like, you need to always keep that in mind. Like, if you hand this system over to someone, will they scratch their head and have to sort of worry about not understanding why and stuff? I don't think people have a hard problem understanding oh, this is Postgres, oh, this is MemTech, oh, this is. PHP or whatever, they don't struggle with that. But they might be wondering, why is there a extra Redis server sitting on the side? uh, And why does it have a cryptic name that I don't understand? Um, And I I think over the years, I think it's become kind of my strength. And some of that might come from a bit of confidence, that I don't feel like I need to show off. Um, because if you don't need to show off, you are less prone to take out the weirdnesses. People sometimes pull out weirdnesses just to show off somehow, it's strange. I mean, we're all a little bit guilty of it. Uh, we want to show to our friends that, hey, look, I'm using this latest uh, reactive CSS framework something that you know that you don't use so i'm cool and we all have that in us there, there's no denying um, even people who call themselves masters of simplicity they sometimes overcomplicate and kind of thrive a little bit in it i think we're all a little yeah, guilty yeah. of it
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's really true yeah i mean um that way you said like even for yourself i think where I learned a little bit about that and and it's something that I'm starting to do again is when I used to do music stall, my guitar teacher told me, always write the fingering that you use for your left hand and your right hand, write it on the sheet music because this is not just important for now so that you can see and understand what you're doing. But if you pick up this piece of music again five years from now, you're going to thank yourself that you did that because you're not going to remember oh, in this part, I decided to re-finger it like this because it played easier or it sounded better or whatever the case is. So I think leaving the same kind of hints to yourself and therefore other developers in your code, either by writing your code in a clear and concise way that's easily understandable, or when when it's a little harder because just it needs to be, leaving comments to explain why it is the way it is. Um, so that if you or somebody else picks it up, then you're like, "Oh, I see. That's why this is specifically like this, and it and it ties back to this thing in this other component. That um, and that's the reason why this is decoupled. Yeah. That's the reason it's not decoupled."
1: I think there's a uh, um, a lot of people say that mantra. Uh, write a comment that explains why, and that's almost easier too easy to say. And um, I have another perspective on that is. When I used to study for my exams, one of the things I used to do was pretend to write cheat notes. I even would write on a piece of paper, would write the text little with a sharp pen. I would write the little formulas that I have to memorize or the little uh, important names or whatever it was. I would write them in a small font just to make the whole exercise a little bit more special, a little bit more mnemonic. And I would write them down the night before or the the days before, whatever it was. And then uh, obviously leave the cheat notes at home so you don't get caught. And the whole exercise there, it's like, it's cognitive science. It forces the brain to think about the things that you don't know. And it kind of goes like that with your code trail and your comment trail. You don't... um, You don't necessarily need to explain everything, the why, but ask yourself like, whoa, this is a little bit surprising. I find it a little bit surprising. I'm sure someone else is gonna find it surprising. So work from that. Don't look at every statement and think of a why comment for it, but look at it like, hmm, is this gonna be hard to understand for me? Would I need, if this was my own test, would I need, cheat notes to remember why this component is different from this or why have i uh, allowed to repeat some code or something there's got to be like a, a story so dig deep there to ask yourself those questions i think that helps
0: yeah yeah for sure i agree Yeah, that's super interesting stuff. I was thinking about something now, but that slipped my mind. So we'll cycle back to that. Oh, yeah, no. What it was is, so you talked about usability and how that is like a burning passion for you. And I mean, I've experienced that with some of the meetings we've had on while we were together uh, working on MDN, um, where you've asked like really important questions during some of these brainstorming meetings we had or where we talked about an interface that other people didn't ask. So, like, how do you, is this just experience that that's leading to this or is there any, like, material you can point at that you found that really helped you improve the way you think about how to make good right. software? Uh,
1: so there's there's two factors to that and then that what makes it almost impossible to explain, but there's one factor is uh, confidence. Like you need to feel somewhat happy in your life that you can take a punch in the face for looking like an idiot. Because if you can't do that, you don't want another instance of looking like a fool at work and then maybe looking like a fool in your day-to-day life. So confidence is one part. But the other part is something that stuck with me. Uh, When I was a young young adult, I did a lot of martial arts. And our instructor would insist, like, come on, ask questions. You'll only be an idiot once. (laughs) Then I think about that, too. So you're in a work meeting. And as long as you're not completely wasting a bunch of people's time, there's a great chance that you can remove this idiocracy once and for all. And then you've got to keep in mind too that there's a big chance that everyone else is thinking the same. So that may be, if you talk about a tool, if you find it a little bit nerve-wracking to kind of admit that you don't understand, you can at least boost your morale internally by thinking, it's very possible that right now, I'm going to do a favor for her and him and him by asking this question. And, oh, God forbid, I'm wasting uh, his turn, time and her time because they've all and understood it. So they were at the other meeting. But maybe if that helps to always think that, you know what, I'll take this one for the team because it can multiply. so. I'll ask this hard question or almost embarrassing question, and for so that those other people can also benefit. We can all benefit. I, I think that's a tool that can help. And then you try to like do that with all sorts of other aspects. Um, for example, because uh, the truth is what we do as professional engineers working on computers is we write a lot of emails, Slack, comments you know, issue Tracker, comments and stuff like that. Keep that in there too. For example, if you see an acronym you don't understand or something, you say, what does PHP mean? I've never heard this before. And you're doing that because A, you Google it, but B, now you might be able to help the other people who are gonna come and see this acronym and don't know what it means. Now you're maybe saving, that Googling time for a bunch of other people. So I think that's a great little tool to justify that dip that you need to take by asking those questions, because it is a little dip so that you can come out as a winner. And I think, um, I think I, so confidence, I'm I'm, I'm a moderately confident person. I might not have great self-esteem. I feel just as much FOMO as everyone else in the world. But another thing too that I think is very important, and you mentioned meetings, is to kind of jump at the elephants in the room, the hard questions. Because I learned almost too late that the academic way of the almost the best way of learning is to like attack the really hard problems. Maybe you don't know the answers today, but if you jump to the to the last page of your math exercise book and work on those, you're going to get stuck, but your little brain is going to be chugging away at it, maybe after the meeting or then over the night or throughout the days and you slowly like gather little fragments. And this is the same when you sit down in a corporate world and you're up against some sort of challenge. I think everyone in the room is kind of eager to to find a low hanging fruit or something that they can say. Hey, um, I can do the uh, the new sign up button, and then you feel sort of fulfillment, like, "Hey, I'm taking something away, something that I can do." But maybe what you should do is say, "Why are we building this?" Or, "Who's the user going to be for this?" Or, "Hang on, why didn't we install that other?" You know, like really almost controversial questions, and um, they can be asked in a way that they don't annoy, like like attack those, because once you start chewing on those, whilst you may be working on that sign up button, rather than, oh, I'm just going to worry about the sign up button now, this easy thing, and then you're leaving, procrastinating the big problems, they're not going away, they're just different ways of maybe rearranging them. And some of them, again, maybe they take a little bit of confidence to be almost a little bit controversial by asking a little bit weird questions. But I think it really works, especially if you mix it up a little bit. So you go some highs and some lows. So you chat about like the big tickets that are almost, there's almost a, an energy in the room or a lack of energy where people don't talk about this. Um, and then you mix that up with some of the easy stuff, some of the low hanging fruits so that, that you, you feel a certain momentum going forward. Yeah.
0: I heard somebody say the other day, um, <clears throat> ignoring something doesn't make it go away, doing it makes it done. <laughs> so I think that's an important one to remember. Um, something that you've said a lot and that um, has an impact on me personally um, is you tend to always say, writing the code is the easy part. Understanding the problem is the hard part. Do you want to dig into that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I remember there was a famous blog post. I forget the name of the author. And he talked about planning, the importance of planning. And the truth is that uh, planning is awesome. <laughs> like thinking through the problem first, it, uh, it really helps. The honest truth, though, just like buy low, sell high, it's not easy to plan. So sometimes what you need to do is you need to um, sort of immerse yourself with the challenge, jumping in, and um, I don't know, do whatever it takes to like get yourself disgusted by the problem, make it really, really difficult, and like get that all over yourself and in your brain. So it's all corners of your brain So working with well, a hard one. And do whatever that takes. Like some people like to jump into some crazy prototype. Some people like to write a, a document, a Google doc, a Word doc, whether, or a piece, pen and paper, write things down. And like that, it's like to jump into it. Because once those things start to come out, you start to sort of slowly develop a picture. And then you're like, okay, shoot. We don't need that other database. What we do need is the password thing widget. And now I've thought about it. I've uh, prototyped about it. Maybe that code has been thrown away. I have chatted to my friends and colleagues about it. All right, the work is done. Now we just need to type it up. So you sit down with your JavaScript editor and write it down. And it's almost like uh, taking notes or writing a a little uh, I don't know reflective summary report um, so I think that ties into that topic that writing the code can be easy if you've thought about the hard parts of it um, I don't that's not necessarily an answer but no 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 it's good the statement, I still stand by, that often writing the code is... Easy. There's also this certain element, and we're all very, very familiar with that, is that you're up against a big challenge. Um, and it's usually a, a very complex challenge in that it's so much more than just the style sheet. It's also uh, getting approval from design and sec- database security folks. And you need to have... S- discussion with the product managers or something like that those are and so there comes a time when you just need to put your headphones down and listen to some music and just work on something so there is an element of sort of self self peace and happiness that you take all those challenges which are so energetically draining because they can be controversial and they force you. So you kind of want to say to yourself. Ah, this afternoon, I'm just going to write the code. I'm not going to get it right the first time, but I'll listen to some music and I'll type the code. And it and gives you like a moment of meditation. Um, I think that's important you need that. And also the truth be told, if you have um, gone through the challenges upfront, so you can now sit down and relax and read it your brain will still continue to work on those hard problems there.
0: Yeah,
1: very true. So, um,
0: this podcast is a combination. So it's the two sides of a coin. It's one I speak to people who are new to web development specifically. Um, or software engineering, it tends to be that I mostly talk to like other web developers. And these are people sometimes that young folks that are literally like starting their career, their life. Um, but sometimes it's also people that is switching over from one career to becoming a web developer. Um, and so I think one of the things that I'm curious about is for people joining the industry now, what do you think what advice do you have for people? Like, you talk about confidence, and I think that's very important. But when you're new and you have this kind of imposter syndrome thing, um, because you see a lot of these, like, as they call them, the programming ninjas, um, <clears> then <throat> you kind of feel like I'll never be able to meet up to those people. <laughs> what are What are some tips you can give people to like build up their confidence and fo- feel a bit more sure about? themselves so that they have the confidence to step into this world?
1: That's a great question. And I think I have a very good answer. Uh, I attribute a lot of this to sheer experience of being a mentor. Um, I've been a mentor for many young interns who come, um, like engineering interns, but also maybe the most rewarding Uh, mentorship experience that I've gone through was the outreach program, which started in 2015, something like that, maybe earlier, uh, which was originally uh, exclusively for women who wanted to get into tech and not necessarily college graduates. So I was mentoring there and I learned a lot. Uh, I think uh, there's a huge difference between that mentoring path compared to young interns, especially as you know, Skulk, a lot of the interns we've come across, they are from the top universities in the US and France and Canada. And they're kind of a reason why they're from the top universities and that's because they're freaking clever cookies who got into those universities, the go-getters. So there's a different type of mentoring for them, Um, whereas the more, shall we say, adult uh, mentees, it's 99% of our confidence, 1%, or maybe let's say uh, 90% confidence, 9% um, direction and sort of uh, that, and maybe 1% a little bit of coding or some engineering. And I think <laughs> I can conclude, uh, now this is like my opinion. Uh, maybe one of the best things you can do is to have a very good mix of professionalism uh, and weaknesses, it's particularly showing weaknesses. There is almost nothing better to give someone a massive boost of confidence when they can see, I'm putting up quotation marks, when they can see that someone who's professional and good at something fails and that you show that and you talk about them. And try to be a little bit more than just this one time I accidentally leaked the password. But you know, uh, drive on this point a little bit. Show that look, I am good at A, B and C, but I am terrible at D. I don't understand it. It's so frustrating. I get tired. I can't believe it. I feel like tearing up my hair sometimes. And, you know, that kind of stuff. And also maybe mix in some of those little failure stories that we all have. Uh, And they don't always have to be about, uh, oh, I took down production server. Um, If you dig deep, there are many other failure stories. Um, I often sometimes say stories like, um, I wanted to sit down and learn this new uh, uh, programming language. And I just couldn't, it didn't, didn't work for me. My brain couldn't kick in, like I couldn't get it. Like nothing is more motivating for someone learning a new in tech. So um, the other two tips that I have are more um, guidance. And I think your role as a mentor is to not teach anything, but to maybe help the person find their passions, their strengths and like what their heart and their uh, gut goes and and be there for them. You know, you like tease it out like, hey, you seem, hmm, I get you. I'm starting to maybe see, you seem like the kind of person who thrives in Speaking to a crowd, mm-hmm. maybe that could be your thing. You could do talks or uh, right? something like that. Or, or, Hey, you seem like the kind of person who likes to, I don't know, get all the ducks lined up, like an organist or someone who likes to, uh, finish all the bug tickets. Isn't right? like, don't maybe go down, down there. Right? And there's my last hugely powerful tip for people who are new in the industry. And I think in all fairness, in terms of wanting to become a better engineer, there is nothing better than making stuff. And I think what we all need to do is we need to cool it with our side projects. It's so easy to say for a mentor to a mentee or junior person, yeah, build more side projects. But it's not that simple. People have lives, they have passions, they have personalities. But here's the thing, make can mean many different things. If you come across someone who might not be that kind of a side project, kind of a gal or guy, maybe you can say, hey, you know what you should maybe do? Write the blog post and they say, oh, I'm not very good. And then you insist on that, like, ah, yeah, I know it's hard in the beginning, but, you know, get started. Uh, you can maybe write a blog post that shows it just to me, and maybe we can edit it if that's your passion. You know, like you have to try to find something that they can make, because reading will never get make someone good. Uh, I mean, it will help, but making is the, the the true north for everyone that they need to to do to be upgrade their skill set. Uh, but here's the thing: you you gotta help them understand what make means. I've come across mentees who uh, seem to, they seem to have a knack for uh, live audience speaking and they thrive there. So my job as a mentor is to kind of say, look, there's a conference, this one, here's the URL. Maybe you can propose a presentation to that. And I know it's a small one and you might have to travel and I know you're not an expert at this particular topic, but hey, let's figure something out. Maybe you can come up with a slightly adjacent topic. that they can... Yeah, those are my, my my three tips on mentoring or show your own weaknesses, and help someone, guide them towards where their heart wants to go and then trigger or force them almost to make things, whatever that means. Coding, um, writing, presenting.
0: It's an important thing to to highlight the whole thing about being willing to show your weakness because I think the world has gotten to that point where people have been actually kind of told the opposite thing. Um, They've always been told to hide your weaknesses and only show the wins. Don't show the failures, only show the wins. Until you are uh, some super famous person, and then you can talk about your failures. But while you're still coming up, hide them, <clears throat> hide them. And I, I don't think that, that that is a good approach because, you know, the, the first time you fail, you're going to feel so alone in that failure because you have nobody else that is said, me too. I also find it hard. I think that is why um, I still come across people constantly who don't know how to use Git or even GitHub, and they're too afraid to say that. So they'd, they'd rather just not contribute to a project. They'd not contribute to open source because they're too ashamed to say, you know, what I, I can solve this problem, but I'm not sure how to use Git and GitHub to get my solution to this project. But it feels so silly for me to not know that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to not do it.
1: Yeah, it's. it's- Horribly true. It is very much so. And, and now that's the perspective of the, particularly uh, where you started the conversation was like more junior person. Um, and that is a harsh reality um, that they have to contend with. It's easy for a mentor to say, show you weaknesses. We're talking about the mentor's of weakness. Um, but it is an, it is a very, very difficult thing to be up against, especially when these... Uh, start to add up, like there you have a junior person who realizes, oh, I still don't understand Git and I don't know how to use it. Actually that's just one of them, you know, I'm also struggling to understand Flexbox and I'm also struggling to understand compilation. I don't understand what the difference is between a binary and a plain text or something, you know, there there could be many of them. but there's not a lot you can do about that. We, we can't know everything. Um, and this is not necessarily about showing your weaknesses. So you need different mechanisms when you're in that situation, when there's too many things. And I've always thought that if I was in, I mean, it's easy to say now that I'm more experienced, but um, the only really thing you can do when you're up against that is to try to um, clear the table so that you can focus on one little thing at a time and nothing beats um, maybe breaking it down into absolute constituents because you know this. um, You've come across junior engineers too who honestly, they don't necessarily understand everything and neither do you, Stoll, or me, but what they do is they go to like the top of the framework and try to use it. And then they get stuck because they don't really understand the fundamentals. And we've all seen, so we say stack overflow posts where they copy and paste all of their code and it's full of full of their like their business logic and stuff. And they're saying it doesn't work. And that kind of stuff. And the only way that they can get out of that rut is to break it down, uh, scale away. And I think the truth be told too, here's the thing, there is only one way to solve that and that is to peel it down. And the absolute differentiator of an experienced engineer and a junior engineer is that the experienced engineer goes there himself. He like, oh, I don't understand how GitHub desktop works, I suppose. What they do is they peel away, okay, all right, let me go back to get the command line to it, I right, still don't get it. All right, maybe they peel away a little bit further, they go down to absolute basic of commands, then maybe they open up the files, or maybe they seek out some documentation about it, like the core of it, and they start. Whereas uh, maybe a junior engineer, they don't naturally go to the lower levels, the lower layers themselves, they're maybe Throwing their hands in here. so maybe that's something to keep in mind. That hey, you're a junior. Um, but probably the reason why you get stuck is because you don't naturally go deeper to break it down into atoms, a molecules, and then you break down the molecules into atoms. Because that is what the seniors do. They they don't know it either, but that's what they do. And I mean, there's a reason why. Hello World is popular because um, that's how the brain can learn. You start with something like that print Hello World and work your way up.
0: Yeah, it's Um, like with the Raspberry Pi is switching on the light and switching it off again. That's where you start. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's easy to sit here and say all of this because there's another element too that. If you're in a junior position. And you want to level up it's not particularly fun to go down to assembly language and learn what a byte is and what you want to do is you probably want to ship something there are a few things that is rewarding is that you want to like make something you can show your mom and you want to like you want to just download this framework and put some cool stuff together make a web page or an app or something like that that is what you want to do right um, and i don't think there's anything that can be done to solve that other than maybe try to do both like you start with an objective you say i want to make a um, ios app and you come at it a little bit from like the ba- basic tutorials on there but then you like All right, now I'm starting to get stuck here. I need to figure out how do I do a for loop in uh, Kotlin? Wait, that's Android. But anyway, you, you, you can like come at it from the top, like the application, and then you can take little breaks and go to the very, very smaller components and just tinker away. And I don't know how many times I've done this in the past, but it's been an absolute godsend. You're up against a big challenge, big system, big framework, something like that. And it's so confusing. There's so many compilers and transformers and transpilers and everything. It's like, it's all big blur, but you know, you're gonna ship by next Friday. And, but there's a few things that are as powerful as learning as to like open a new window, maybe go down, like download the raw babel like just that, or uh, if it's Next.js, you create a a fresh new Next.js installation, and you just have this one little thing that you want to do, and you can do it maybe in your temp directory on your your computer, and you're like, just test it out, like, ah, now I understand how lazy loading CSS works. I like that, and then you're like, scrap that away, kind of like your cheat notes, and then you can go back to to the to the beast and, and work uh-huh, but th- that has helped me so many times and the only thing stopping me from doing it again and again is just sort of human inertia and laziness uh, but you know that it's what you need to do here is you need to sort of maybe start a fresh new install uh, maybe create a brand new database or what a table or something like that, just so you can understand that one tiny little thing and then jump back and forth.
0: Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that um, the other day on the, I listened to shop doc show and they were speaking to some folks in the agency and they do a lot of WordPress stuff. Um, and even though they do a lot of WordPress, it's not really their strong suit. So, Oftentimes, what they would do is that when they will want to build a new like component, they open up a code pen and like build a component inside code pen, then take that and stick it in, into WordPress. Because now they know they have a version of it that works. So if anything breaks, it's something to do with WordPress. So now you need to just figure out what is it in this new environment that's clashing with what I'm trying to do. Because I know if I take it out of this situation, I put it by itself, it works. And I bring it into the scenario, it doesn't work. So what is different about these two environments? And then start teasing it apart until you find, oh, it's because it has this extension that does this weird thing. And I did happen to use the same ID and it's it's grabbing my element and doing funny stuff with
1: it. For sure. I love those tools. CodePen. Code sandbox. Also, um, and when you and I started worked, we did a lot of complex stuff with the AWS system, um, and uh, I got a lot of learning from. I used like my private, private accounts for that, and if there was something I didn't understand, I would create a brand new one, and just. To test something and then throw it away, and so there are lots of tools, um, and uh, they're all they're really good to have. They're good to have and to not be intimidated. I think it's an amazing um, thing that's happening in the last couple of years now, especially in web development, where um, you file a bug, and instead of saying it doesn't work, they say, hey. Can you copy and paste it into a code sandbox and give us the URL? Can you put it in it? And what's so amazing too is you don't necessarily have a perfect um, story to tell there in your bug that you're going to file or this work. (laughs) Um, It's called rubber duck debugging is simply breaking it down for the sake of maybe putting it into CodePen Code pen can help you understand what the hell is wrong. Um, so for people who don't know what rubber duck debugging means, it's, uh, it's this idea that you are struggling, you're stuck, something doesn't work, and you ask a colleague over, a friend, hey, can uh, you help me debug what the hell is going on? And so your friend comes over and stand over your shoulder or on Zoom, as we do these days, and you say, all right, so I took this file I try to copy this, I try to compile this function, I try to write this style class, and what the hell? Now I see what I've done. There's my mistake. And you say to your friend, like, never mind, I figured it out, as I was breaking it up, I figured it out, you can go back to your desk. So your friend was just standing there like a rubber duck, not doing anything. And so it's quite a famous sort of strategy or anecdotal strategy. And hey, use that to your advantage. You don't need to disturb a colleague every time. What you can sometimes do is, I don't know what's going on. I'm gonna start a, a tiny little atom in, say, the TypeScript playground. Just the tiniest little function, a little type definition, and almost as if you're preparing yourself to post a Stack Overflow post or something, or show that code pen to a colleague, and there's big chance that that will inspire your brain to understand it maybe, or that you spot your little mistake, um, a typo, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and I think then I, this ties back to something you said way back, um, then writing about this whole thought process you went through, uh, because this can help somebody else again. And this ties into your blog, <clears throat> which... Um, especially when I search for stuff related to Python or something like that, more often than not, I will land on your blog <coughs> and find the answer there. So I think blogging is extremely important. It's something I've been neglecting, but I'm trying to pick up again. Um, but you you do a really good job of running a very active, very... Um, there's just so much useful information in that blog. What is your approach to to that? Like-
1: um I, I, my approach, I mean, I wish I could, um, and I'm jealous of the people who can pick up a new topic. They have observed it, and then they almost rewrite it again in their own words. Um, for example, they're the people who keep an eye on, say, the TC39 spec discussions or something as it goes through, and then they, um, they're able to just rewrite it one more time in a different set of words. Uh, maybe uh, less technical and a little bit more of a story. And that's great readership. And maybe the truth, maybe they do it to get traffic or maybe they're just as human as anybody else in that. Maybe if I write it all over again, in my words, I'll understand. it. And uh, someone else said that if you write an opinion, you'll get a lot of negative feedback. But if you write an experience, you can never be wrong. And now it's almost maybe a better quality product, uh, article if it is an opinion, um, because it can stir the mind a little bit. But hey, we're only human. So go a little bit for writing your experience. And my approach is, um, I'm kind of imagining almost in my head that there was a stack of for question. And let me... Uh, and explain an answer so you write like all right this is the problem i encountered and it was not easy eventually i found i could use this function and by the way this function you can read more about on this page and here's an example of doing it with unicode characters and that's what i did and then i found that da, 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 da. so you write a little bit uh, an executive summary about what you just went through, what you learned there, like one tiny little microstep that you took But you maybe spruce up the words so that it can be consumable, consumable by someone else who might Google across it. And I tell you, um, so my blog is just a loud note-taking from my perspective. That's what it is. And it's the Stack Overflow answers that no one asked or something. You know, that... But it is so rewarding uh, when someone posts a comment saying, hey, that really helped me. Um, And uh, I would encourage everyone to go for that. Because uh, in a world where we count likes and hearts and sort of increments like that, there is nothing as rewarding as that feeling of having touched someone's actual progress. So if you can turn around and look at it from that perspective, like, what can I do to make someone's life a little bit easier, like to make them move on? It is so much more rewarding than getting 20 likes on something. Um, So keep that in mind that you might touch someone's life by writing down these notes. And it probably doesn't take that long. but it's, it's hard. Uh, everyone ch- uh, struggles with it uh, because we're all guilty of uh, once this thing, the uh, challenge got solved, you kind of want to move on with your life. Oh, that was a stressful thing to figure that out. And, and I kind of feel guilty the way I solved it because I, I did trial and error. I didn't read the spec or something. So you feel sort of like I'm going to move on, put that dirty experience behind you.
0: Yeah, that's true. I try in the last while because, like I said, because I want to get back into blogging again. Well, I have been, but um, I try and keep like a notion thing open. And then when I hit a problem and I start unraveling it, I start just putting little notes in the document, like as I go through the process, just like, Maybe a screenshot of something, maybe just a line that kind of can trigger a memory for me later on. And then I work through the problem, I solve it and I move on. But then maybe over the weekend or something, I'd go back to those notes and I try and flesh them out into an article that explains properly, like this is the issue I had and these are the steps that I went through. So I've got the basics there and I've got any screenshots that might be helpful in demonstrating how I went through this or little bash outputs, like this is what you should probably see in bash after running this command. So I put all of that in and then I write it up. Sometimes if it's something that I can do again, I'd literally like do it again. And this time, take the time to actually write down each and every little step. But you don't you don't have that time always. So that's why sometimes I just throw stuff into a notepad thing if you want to call. Um, just so I have a reference to go back to later and say, OK, let me break this down into an actual readable thing because at this point nobody would understand what they. Yeah,
1: I often wonder. Um, so you touched on another interesting excuse, and in that is have time, and it is an honest uh, thing. Like you, it's hard to have time. Um, I often wonder. So that's one excuse. The other excuse was the thing I touched on was that when you did go through this experience, was it a bit dirty? Like, did you actually not read the manual like you should have? Um, Which one is the biggest blocker for you taking the time to write down? Is it that you don't have time or that you're a little bit guilty feeling for your journey? Um, So I think it's worth keeping that sometimes it's a bit of both or sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other.
0: Yeah, and I guess it also plays into that weakness thing. If you had to admit that, honestly, if I just read the docs, I probably would have fixed this in a much shorter time, but I was too lazy and you kind of don't want to admit that. And then if you look back at it, you might say to yourself, that was a stupid thing to do. If I just read the docs, I could have saved myself 20 minutes. Now I've gone through a yucky experience and I'm too embarrassed to write about it. So it's just double There's another uh, element
1: too, which is very, very important. So one of the reasons why we blog um, is to become a more professional and better engineer who can build better stuff, build better, more successful businesses. So if that's the goal, does it matter if you get punched in the face a little bit here and there? I have many a times blogged about something only to find someone posts a comment where they say, hang on, did you know that there's this library? Or why didn't you just divide by six? oh, shoot, like, whoa. And now you're confronted with an almost embarrassing blog post plus comment that kind of makes you look a fool. But hey, they wouldn't have mentioned that library in your comment. They wouldn't have if you hadn't written it. You would have been completely oblivious about that amazing other thing that is available. Um, And okay, maybe you could stumble up upon it further. All right, but you didn't. So it was thanks to you showing a weakness that you stumbled on a new strength. Now you're like equipped with something you didn't have before. This is amazing library. Um, The internet's too big to, to spot everything. They give you this and now you can copy and paste that or take that and you can put it back into your work then you can succeed even better. You can now make a better web app than you would have otherwise. You will earn more dollars thanks to this. Because had they not mentioned it, no, had you not shown what you did, they mention a comment that makes you look a fool a little bit, you will put more food on the table. And that's kind of worth it. Um, And things tend to be forgotten. but successes tend to kind of they can live on longer, so that is another motivator, I think.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And there's there's the other side of it that also happens, which kind of happened to me the other day. It's, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's 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 similar in nature. So I recorded a little uh, video of using this library that automatically generates all your PWA assets. I think it's even called PWA generator or something like that. Um, So I made a little video of how it does that and why it's really cool and helpful and saves you a bunch of time. And I stuck it on YouTube. And the first comment I got was from a person who said, you shouldn't use web technologies to write mobile apps. You should just write mobile apps. And then I like replied to them. And I said, you know, fair point, but The thing is, sometimes we don't all have massive teams of developers that have experience in writing iOS apps, writing Android apps, and then this web team. Sometimes all you have is a little web team, or all you have is yourself, and you know web technologies, and this is a way for you to be able to write your write an app for iOS or for Android or both, using your existing skills. And so the person didn't come back, and then about two weeks later, the author of the package, PWA generator, came onto mine and said, Oh, thanks so much for your insightful answer and thank you so much for writing recording this video about my package. I really appreciate it. And I was like, ah, awesome. (laughs) So even though I got a little pushback, I I like I told the person that, you know, thank you for your opinion. Here's why I'm saying this. And then I kind of got validation from the author saying, yeah. That person yeah. was out of line. So these things are also going to happen, but it shouldn't stop you from putting the thing out there because people have different opinions. And you're going to have Indeed. people who, who's going to like There's say, There's a little eh. bit of yin
1: and yang to everything. Yeah, of I also yeah. think um, a lot of people, they might look a fool when they're dancing on the dance floor. They go to the, I don't know, the club or whatever. And... <laughs> They do look a fool and it's embarrassing to dance, but that's how they met their husband or their wife. Had they not gone to look a fool, they wouldn't have met that person and had a wonderful life together. Um, so keep that in mind too. Sometimes you go to dance, uh, and it's going to hurt and then someone's going to snicker, but just wait, there's some gems.
0: Yeah, that's very good. Uh, Fear, this has been an awesome chat. I only have one thing as a closing out, and I think your comment just now kind of ties into that very nicely, which is what do you do when you are not coding or mentoring or working?
1: Um, I'm an avid swimmer. I swim almost every morning early. I wake up at 5 o'clock, and I know that sounds like annoying to some people who are not morning people, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, but that's the nature of that sport. It's something you do early in the morning. Um, and I take a lot of fulfillment out of that, cause it's one of those things that you can do for your health that isn't too disruptive to family life. Um, and it's, uh, you don't bang into things like you do with other sport or rip your knees out in certain sports. Um, and you, you can't really fall down like you can with a bicycle. So that's my, my other thing. I think I think I would have answered side projects is my hobby when I'm not coding, but it's too boring of an answer. But it is true. It is. I mean, honest to goodness, I look around and I have friends, you know, they do uh, woodwork or they do, um, they playing the piano or something like that. And I'm jealous almost like, hey, look, they have a hobby. Um, where what I do with my free time, oh, I code. <laughs> code <in science laughs> but um, I remember, um, I forgot his name now, famous entrepreneur uh, who started LinkedIn and many other things. Um, this is a podcast. It's like He does so many things. And they ask, how can you be in so many things all at the same time? It's easy. I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like shit man if he can say something like that maybe it's not such an embarrassing fact to say that i sit in my vs code editor on a sunday maybe that's not the end of the world
0: no i don't think so i think as long as you get true god honest joy out of it then there's nothing wrong with it i mean yeah
1: and the other truth is that uh why do you swim Um, Are you like smiling as you're taking your strokes? No. And there might be, um, I don't know, there are some exercise moments where you're actually smiling. Uh, But the truth we do it for is, it's honestly to live a healthier life longer. It's like an investment, right? That's what we're, we're not smiling whilst we're doing our Peloton bikes. And so why are you working so hard on these side projects? Are you like sitting there on a Sunday afternoon, smiling away, having fun, like woohoo? No, you're honestly you're you're grinding away so that you can have a more sort of happier years ahead of you. Because if you're working away on those side projects, you might not earn many dollars on it or much pain, hey, now you actually understand this new CSS framework. You didn't do that before. And it can put little smiles, thousands of little smiles on, on your face that barely even move your lips. like, I actually feel like I understand this little piece. And it's thanks to what I did last, 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 last Sunday. And so that's happiness. That is happiness. Because we all like to make things and we all like to look good doing what we do for a living. And... Um, so that is another thing. Like, Keep that in mind, uh, especially I mentioned earlier that you are got to make to learn. Um, keep that in mind that it might not be all like happiness and fun and stuff. You might be frustrated in your free time and, and it's hard work. And there might not be a big, amazing uh, financial success, uh, but there will be like Spread thin butter on a massive piece of bread. <laughs> like you'll get a little bit happier, tiny little bit every day, by the sheer fact that you know something a little bit better, and uh, it's rewarding. Even if it's long term.
0: Very true. Very true. Thanks, beer. That I think is a good place to to end it. Thanks again for joining me, and uh, yeah, it was really awesome.
1: Thank you so much, Cole. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mycelium Network podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have something to add? Continue the conversation on GitHub and join the community on Slack. Until the next one, keep making the web awesome.